Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. One of the bloodiest battles of Russia's invasion in Ukraine, the uh, fate of an eastern Ukrainian town of Solodar hangs in the balance. Karen Chamas has some details for us. Russian forces used jets, mortars and rockets to bombard Solodar in an unrelenting assault. If Solodar were to fall into Russian hands, it would be a prize for a Kremlin starved of good battlefield news in recent months. It would also offer Russian troops a springboard to conquer other areas of Donetsk province that remain under Ukrainian control, such as the nearby strategic city of Bakhmut. In the trenches in the Donetsk region, Ukrainian troops fire mortars at Russian forces. The Ukrainian soldier known as Festa tells the AP the Russian military fires relentlessly, sometimes just for practice. He said, They don't shoot like we do. We count and clearly try to work well. I'm Karen Chamas. So we're even getting mixed messages about what's happening there too. The Russians are claiming that they've taken that city, that they own it now. Uh, they say the streets are strewn with the bodies of Ukraine soldiers. Uh, President Zelensky has quite a different uh, perspective on what's happening there. Uh, to try to get some clarity, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Uh, Elliot, uh, as always, thanks for joining us today. Uh, what do you make of what's happened over the last couple of days here, especially in that region of Ukraine? Well, there's so many different ways to view this. Let's take it from the top that okay. Russia has continued its totally unprovoked imperial invasion of a neighboring state and is pummeling it with everything it's got. The relentless use of drones, of artillery, heavy artillery, now it's air force uh, against civilian populations. All of these atrocities continue. So the big story here is that the imperial adventurism which is a failing venture for Mr. Putin, is continuing. The details of the changes in the structure of the uh, upper levels of the military is a story unto itself. But the big story is this imperial adventure, adventure is not going well for Mr. Putin, and it's a terrible tragedy for Ukraine. Well, and the numbers indicate that, and, and uh, which is why Zelensky's comments were not that, no, no, we still control that, but no, it's it's still in play. So this may well be, as they say, one of the most intense battles of, of this war. Uh, if, in fact, the Russians do control it, as they say they do, what, is there a strategic advantage to this area? <laughs> one commentator has said that, remember, this war started by an attempt by Russia to take Kiev, the capital, mm -hmm. and now it's come down to taking this tiny little salt town uh, on the outskirts of another small town in order to gain some minor strategic advantage. Yes, it would, of course, be apparently a tactical advantage if they could take this town. It would also be a morale booster for a military which has failed to do anything except kill people and terrorize people, but it's not had any military gains on the ground. So this would be, as again, a commentator said, if they take this small salt town, would Trump be trumpeted as the same as taking Berlin in the Second World War. Apparently, it would give them some tactical advantage because then it would lead on to Bakhmut, uh, have a, an advantage of taking Bakhmut, which in turn has an advantage in consolidating their hold on the Donbass, which is what they now say they want to do, uh, having lost their first goal, which was to take the entire country by a military decapitation and through a blitzkrieg. You know, the one-week war, that didn't work. Now, let's switch over to here and say the whole war has come down to this uh, one small town. 
uh, one of the strategic advantages, as I read it anyway, is you, and you mentioned the salt mines in in this town. Yes, exactly. Uh, they they could hide uh, artillery and weaponry and troops if they wanted down there, and, uh, which would of course be uh, out of the range of of Ukrainian artillery if they were to do that. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to ask you about here are the soldiers themselves. Uh, the fact that that Russia seems to have hired mercenaries. Uh, in in some cases, and and now, and you predicted this about a year ago. Uh, they're they're draining the prisons now and saying you're now a soldier. Here's your gun. Get out there. Uh, and it's right. a much different attitude, much more bloodthirsty. It seems. I, you know, we had stories a few months ago of soldiers dropping their guns and running. Um, it seems to be a different mindset that the Russians are using now militarily. Right. Well, those salt mines are useful too because they go on for several hundred kilometers, and you can move troops around. Yes, the. Uh, <laughs> Part of what's going on is an incredible power struggle at the top inside the Kremlin over who's going to win this war, who's going to gain an advantage. Clearly, there's intra-elite dissension at the very top of the uh, of Putin decision-making and military machinery. The, the Wagner Group, or the Wagner Group, it's Wagner really because they've named it after the German uh, composer because he was a, a pro-Nazi. But the um, this mercenary group has been used in Africa to pursue at sort of an arm's length from the Russian state, from Mr. Putin's machine, the goals in Africa. They are absolutely ruthless. Uh, they commit war crimes wantonly, and they take over valuable um, assets. And that's part of what's going on here. The Wagner Group is now saying, the Wagner Group leader is now saying, I'm the only one who's effective here. The generals are incompetent. Uh, give the job to me. I will get the job done. Now the uh, Russian military top brass is saying, we are the ones taking this. Look, it's our paramilitary, it's our military uh, paratroopers who are dropping down. They're the ones who are winning this war. So there's a struggle for power within the top levels of the military and political machinery of, of uh, Mr. Putin. We see this now, and of course, the reassignment, the shocking reassignment of I'll just use the more informal names, General Armageddon. Remember when this war started to go badly for Mr. Putin, he brought in what he considers a highly successful general, that is, the general in charge of the Syrian operation. Mm -hmm. They In Syria, keeping in mind, Bill, that you know we've had trouble identifying with the atrocities in Syria or in Groznia, but uh, Ukraine makes it much more real for, you know, for people like us here. Now, what happened in Syria was an attempt to break the will of the civilian population by bombing civilian targets, by devastating cities. That person, <clears throat> General Armageddon, was put in charge of the war in Ukraine three months ago. And he indeed has uh, launched, apparently he's responsible for the decision to try to break the will of the population with these massive, massive assaults on the infrastructure, energy infrastructure, as well as civilian targets across the country, across Ukraine, so that there'd be no heat or light, no power throughout the winter. But now his star apparently is dimming. He's been demoted. And the top general in the army is now being promoted to the, be in charge directly of the battlefield. This hasn't happened since uh, the Nazi assault in 1941, uh, when the top general then was put in charge of going to the front. So there's been turmoil at the top, power struggles at the top, and Ukraine is paying a terrible price. 
Let's talk about that price because a, a, a number of, of observers, uh, military ex- with expertise, are simply saying uh, Russia may prevail in this region eventually, uh, but it may cost them much more than they had anticipated. Uh, I think one of the uh, people actually said, uh, you know, that uh, the heavy casualties, et cetera, are going to make this very precarious. And uh, it, it, they said that it, it's significant, but compared to what it's going to cost Russia to achieve it, it may not be worth it. Yes, the... Um the informed view of the battle itself, those who follow it very closely say that the strategic significance should, is being overblown here, that if, if this does happen to fall, it's not going to change the overall balance of forces in the region. It's not going to change the momentum of the war, except to give a morale boost and uh, to Russia as a whole, but also to for certain factions within the Russian power struggle at the top. A lot of uh, power and influence inside the Kremlin is apparently being driven by military bloggers who are very bloodthirsty, uh, much more hardline than than, than the other parts of the population. So um, this is a long, hard slog. Ukraine is putting up a valiant battle. We should also mention that the increasing levels of support for Ukraine to conduct this, keeping in mind there is still no, no fly zone <clears throat> There's still no fighter jets being provided to Ukraine. They are not permitted to use their weapons outside of the territory of Ukraine because the West, starting with Mr. Biden, said, we want Ukraine to win, but we don't want World War III. We cannot have direct confrontation with nuclear-armed Russia. And as we know, Mr. Putin keeps threatening nuclear war. So Mr. Biden has been steadily ratcheting up, however, the kind of support going there. And, and He's the leader of a coalition, which we are part of. We are now providing heavier weapons as well. More heavy weapons are now going into Ukraine to conduct the battle on Ukrainian soil against this Russian imperialism. Well, we'll see what happens in the next couple of days, as you say, with new leadership of the Russian (laughs) army and uh, some discontent in the Kremlin. Uh, You never know what the next steps are going to be. Elliot, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. Oh, very welcome. Elliot Tepper, of course, uh, America's professor of political science at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.